turn in God's word this morning again to the book of Leviticus chapter 23. And again before us this morning are simply those first three verses of Leviticus chapter 23 as we consider part two of uh, our message dealing with the Sabbath. And in particular, we're dealing with the Sabbath day. There is also the Sabbath year and the year of Jubilee, which uh, we will look at uh, next Lord's Day. Leviticus chapter 23, we hear these words from the Lord our God. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, These are the appointed feasts of the Lord that you shall proclaim as holy convocations. They are my appointed feasts. Six days shall work be done. But on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwellings. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again pray and ask for God's blessing. Our merciful Father in heaven, we come once again to thee on this thy day, the day that thou hast created, for us to come into thy house and worship thee. And we thank thee, Lord, for this portion of your word. We pray that it will prick our hearts and enter in, and we will go out amongst the peoples in the area and express our Christianity, and they will see that by our actions and our deeds. We pray now for Pastor Bob that thou will give him the words to say, all through the help of thy Holy Spirit. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we look at four points this morning in regards to the Sabbath today. First of all, just a quick review. Secondly, the defined Sabbath. Let's remind ourselves of what we are dealing with here when God calls his people to keep this day holy. Secondly, the new Sabbath that we are given as God's people. And then the coming Sabbath. So the review, the defined, the new, and the coming. As we review, we simply go back to to last week's message and we... Look at and we are reminded of the fact that there was a creational Sabbath. Genesis chapter 2 verse 1 sets the whole context of the one in seven and the taking of that day as a day of rest even as God patterned for us. Secondly, there is the redemptive Sabbath that we see in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 where God sets that law not as a principle of this is the way you earn my favor, this is the way you earn grace, this is the way you earn my forgiveness, but as a result of the people's redemption. He brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. He had already saved them. He had already covenant with them. They were his people. And out of that redemption that they already had, God is saying as gratitude, as he does with all the... Ten Commandments, out of gratitude. This is the way that you can show and to demonstrate your thankfulness, your joy, your delight in the fact that I have saved you and rescued you. And then thirdly, we looked at the sanctified Sabbath as it arises here in the book of Leviticus. 
because the book of Leviticus, as we have been learning, is all about holiness. It's all about the fact that God sanctifies and God is saying part of your living, your life as a believer, as a follower of me, is to live holy, to live apart, to live separate. To live apart from sin, but in a whole variety of ways. The book of Leviticus is showing and demonstrating to God's people then and to us today how we are to live holy lives. And so it's in that sanctified life. If we take it out of that context of the book of Leviticus... Okay? We're, we're going to lose the perspective and soon you will, you will get people to say, oh, that's just Old Testament stuff. That's just, the, that, that's just that, that law stuff. It is anything but. God is saying, I've sanctified you. I've made you holy. So keep the day that I have made holy, holy as well. And in that regard, we can secondly then move on to the defined Sabbath. What does it mean to keep the Sabbath day holy? Well, last Lord's Day, we looked at one, it's a day to cease. It's a day to end. It's a Sabbat. It is ceasing. That's what the Hebrew word means. To cease from work. We're to cease from that which we do on a regular, ongoing, daily basis. That which is usual. That which is permissible. That which is good that which is pleasant, that, that which we enjoy, and it includes our recreations, those things that we find to be fun, those things that we find to be uh, entertaining to us, that is fine, day one through six. But the seventh is to be a day of ceasing, a day of setting apart, a day of making unique, a day of ceasing from that which we would normally do in order that we might dwell upon and think about God's work of redemption. In the Old Testament, it was to reflect upon God's work of bringing them out of Egypt. For us, it's a reflection on not only that, but also, and even greater, our redemption in and through the finished work of Jesus Christ. So it's to set aside that which we might think we have to do in order to earn God's favor and to realize that we stand in a state of grace with God because of Christ's work, not our own. But secondly, as Leviticus chapter 23 points out to us, it's a day for a holy assembly. That's a, what a convocation is. That's why in the hymn we have that, that line about the day of the silver trumpets calling. Those trumpets would have announced the fact it is a Sabbath. It is a day to gather. It is a calling together. It is an assembling of God's people. That's what's to be done on the Sabbath. A ceasing from our regular work and recreations in order that we might look to Christ and a day of sacred assembly, a day of gathering, as we are doing even now, this time, this moment, this hour. This is what God desires to be done, that we come together as the people of God. So much so that if you take your Bibles for a moment and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 58, 
God tells us that there is a blessing for us in store in keeping the Sabbath. It's Isaiah chapter 58. And we'll be looking at verses 13 and 14 for just a moment. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways, or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God is saying that there is, there is something about the Sabbath day and our keeping this day, our honoring it, our, in fact, even more than just setting it apart, our, our finding joy in it, our, our delighting of our setting aside, going our own way, of, well, I think I'll do this this coming Sunday. I think I'll do this. But if, if we do that which God desires, then God is saying, I put a blessing upon your life. Things will go well for you. You will be blessed. Your family will be blessed. We could say your business will be blessed. But if you insist on going your own way, then beware of my judgments falling upon you. This past week, I was directed by my wife to a podcast about fatherhood. A lot of good stuff in it. But one of the things that was noted is the importance of a father worshiping the Lord on the Lord's day. Want to hear startling statistics, Dad? You want to hear your responsibility in this world? When a father does not honor the Lord's day, when a father does not attend worship, one out of 50 children ends up being a regular church attender. One out of 50. When a father regularly attends worship, 66 to 75 percent of those children will be attending worship in their adult years. And that's in spite of whatever the mother does. In other words, church attendance in adulthood is not about mom coming to church. It's about dad. It's about the father. 
And how often are we not as fathers quick to be the first ones to grant an excuse? Oh, let's not go today. Oh, let's not go this morning. Oh, let's make those plane tickets so we leave on Sunday. Let's make Sunday our travel day rather than being in the house of the Lord. Understand, fathers, the detrimental, devastating effect that has upon your children. When you have no regard for the day of the Lord, neither do your children. But when you delight in it, when you delight in it, when you say, yes, yes, this is the day of all the week, the best. Your children follow. Put in a link to this in the next newsletter so you can follow it along and see the importance that we carry as fathers, not only in this regard, but in time spent with our children rather than in front of the TV or upon our phones. Time spent with our children, building them up and strengthening them. How much of a difference. Just think about that. The next time you're going to cop out, of Sunday. What am I doing to my children? You might be saying, but this is my day. I want to do what I want. And the Lord sees right through us, doesn't he? He says, if you honor my day, I'll honor you in your family. And you will see the outcome of it in the days in years, and generations. Or don't you care? Or don't you care? Is it just for this moment and you're not thinking generationally? Thanks be to God for those who in time past thought beyond themselves and thought of the generations that are to come. So we've covered one and two, a review and the defined Sabbath. Thirdly, though, we need to look at the new Sabbath because there is a change, right? There, there is no doubt there has been a change. As we look at that creation week, we have the routine of one through six, and then on the seventh day, God rests. Now that pattern of one of seven is not going to change. But the particular day upon which that day of rest occurs is going to change. There will be a change that is made. But it's not changed by man. It's not changed by the decision of the church. It's not changed by a minister or the elders or a general assembly. The change of the day upon which we are to honor and to keep holy is instituted by the Lord himself. That change of that day occurs at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Up until Christ's resurrection, the Sabbath has always been the seventh day of the week. But since Christ's resurrection, that Sabbath has been the first day of the week. 
each one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, record for us the fact that Jesus rose on the first day of the week. And it wasn't on the Sabbath, it was on the first day of the week. And we might say, well, what's, what's the importance of that? Well, what does Paul tell you and I in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15 about the resurrection of Christ? How important is that? How vital is that? What exactly is happening with the resurrection of Christ? Today, we'll come to the table and we'll be reminded of the cross work of Christ. We'll be reminded of the fact that he suffered and died upon that cross. But that is not the fullness of the salvation story. It is part of it, but it's not the only part. So turn with me for a moment to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we're going to pick it up at verse 12. 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to pick it up at verse 12. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ. Whom he did not raise if it's true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, even then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, here it comes. Your faith is futile. And you are still in your sins. If Christ died upon the cross, would we be forgiven? No. Christ died upon the cross, and that's it. He's still in that tomb. He's still buried. Would there be forgiveness? No. Would there be mercy? No. Would there be pardon? No. Paul tells us we'd still be in our sin. It is the resurrection that finishes, that puts the exclamation point, as it were, Upon our salvation. What's the importance of that? Remember the tie-in. Why did God give to the Israelites the Sabbath day in the law? In Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. So that they might remember their salvation from Egypt. Their salvation accomplished. Their salvation Done by the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But it is done, you see, for you and I by Christ's 
resurrection. That finishes it. It takes not only the cross, it takes an empty tomb. And to mark the fact, just like in the Old Testament, that seventh day marked the day upon which God's people sat, reflected, rested upon God's work of salvation in bringing them out of Egypt. So now God's people stop and rest and reflect upon God's eternal deliverance of us from our sin. Accomplished when? On the first day of the week. Why is God changing it? Because this is the greater Sabbath. This is the more glorious Sabbath. This is the accomplished work of his son. Not in shadows, but in the reality of Christ's death. And resurrection. What does Paul go on to say here in, in that 15th chapter as we pick it up from there? He goes on to note then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people to be most pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. The first fruits of those who fall asleep, for as by man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. This is the glorious hope. This is where God puts all things under Christ. All things are in subjection to Christ, even the day that is appointed as the Sabbath. To top it off, when you turn to Acts chapter 2, and the day of Pentecost comes, what is that day? What is the day of Pentecost? Well, when you follow the timeline of the ascension occurs 40 days after, Pentecost occurs 10 days after that, even by Jewish calculations, that day of Pentecost that, has, that is noted for us in Acts chapter 2 is the first day of the week. Now what happens on that first day of the week in Pentecost? The Holy Spirit is poured out. The Holy Spirit, the work of sanctification in our hearts. See, God, again, is putting an exclamation mark upon this first day. It is a reminder of the fact that this first day stands as the redemptive exclamation point. It stands as a, the sanctification exclamation point. God does it all on the first day of the week. Saying, this is the day now that I have given to you. A day of the week that we could also say is blessed. It is on that first day of the week that Jesus appears. He appears to those men on the road to Emmaus. 
He appears to his disciples in the upper room. It is Christ's glorious presence, bodily presence, as the resurrected Lord and King who is standing there in their midst. Not their Old Testament seventh day Sabbath, but this New Testament first day of the week Sabbath. A day to be in the presence of Christ. A day that he blesses. A day that is commanded for us as well. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 20 verse 7. Acts chapter 20 verse 7. Paul is meeting with believers. Verse 7. He's in Ephesus. On the first day of the week. Why are they there on the first day of the week? Why aren't they gathered on the seventh day of the week? Because this has become the day of gathering. Why? Because of Christ finished work of salvation because of the sanctifying work of the Spirit? What is the church doing? They're gathering. Not on the seventh, but they're gathering on the first day of the week when they were gathered together to break bread. What does that mean? It means to do exactly what we are going to do in a few moments. To gather together to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Follow that up by going to first. Corinthians chapter 16. 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Paul writes, Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I have directed the churches of Galatia, so you also are to do, or to take an offering. Just like he's told the churches in Galatia. He's told all the churches, this is what you are to do. What are they to do? That on the first day of every week, Each of you is to put something aside and store it up that he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. When? When when are they to gather? When are they to come to this holy assembly? On the first day of the week. So when we read in Hebrews the warning of do not forsake the meeting together of God's people, when is that? The first day of the week. God's blessing, God's command. So when we come to the book of Revelation, we read, and the Apostle John says, on the Lord's day I was in the Spirit. And what does God give him? But he gives him the glorious promise and hope of assurance that Christ rules and reigns over all. And even the Romans can't take that away. No empire can take that away. Not even Satan himself can take away Christ's right to rule and to reign. And to this, this is what John is given on the first day of the week, on that Lord's day, when we shall come. But there is yet, you see, a coming Sabbath. 
Remember last Lord's Day I pointed out to you the fact, the uniqueness in the creation account of the absence of something in Genesis chapter 2. Every other day of the week ends with, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. There was evening and there was morning the second day. But in Genesis chapter 2, it doesn't end that way. Why? Why Why does God leave it out? Why does God not say the Sabbath day comes to an end? Because that Sabbath day is a foreshadowing. It was an end in itself, yes. But it's looking forward to something. It's looking forward to a day when there shall be no more moon. It's looking forward to a day when there shall be no more sun. It's looking forward to the day when we in glory are with Christ forever and ever and ever for an eternal Sabbath. What shall we do? We shall rest from all of our work and rest fully in Christ. No more doubt. No more guilt. No more despair. But Christ. Fully. Completely. See the reason there's no morning or evening in Genesis. Is because God already knows where this ends. God already knows that the Sabbath ends in glory. And there will be no marker. There will be no moon. There will be no sun. To mark Time, because time has ceased and time is now eternal. So when the author of Hebrews speaks to us about that which is to come, he speaks about a rest that is yet before us. A rest that now we only taste in part. A rest that now we only experience in part. But a rest that shall come for all of eternity. One day the disciples are walking and they're eating some heads of grain and it invites a huge discussion with the Pharisees and so on. And Jesus concludes that by saying that he is the Lord of the Sabbath. Some people look that at that passage and say, oh, there's a lessening of Sabbath restriction. You see, Jesus is making it easier. No, what Jesus is saying is, I'm the one in authority over this day. Who is the one who called light into existence on day one of creation? Christ. That's why we read Colossians chapter 1. Who is the one who raises on the first day of the week? Christ. Who is the one who sends the Spirit on the first day of the week? Christ. Who is the one who is the Lord of the Sabbath? Christ. Who is the one who gets to determine which day that is? Christ. Who is the one who gets to determine how we live that day? Christ. Because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. But our struggle, isn't it, that we want to be the Lord of it. 
We want to be in charge of it. We want to, as Isaiah said about the people of Israel, do what we want to do on his holy day. And Jesus says, I died for you. You're my people. I've sanctified you by the gift of the Spirit. I am the Lord of the Sabbath. This is the day to worship, to glorify, to praise me. Don't we do that the other days of the week? Absolutely. But we also have to work. We have to go to school. There's all sorts of things that fall upon us. But this is the day. This is the day that we might fully soak in Christ. This is the day when we gather at the table to be spiritually fed in Christ. And God's people say, Amen. Father, how we look forward. How, how we look forward to that eternal Sabbath. Our minds can't even begin to comprehend the glory, the blessing, the peace, the hope, and the joy, and the delight, and the love of that day. But it's coming. It's coming. You give to us this day, here, in time, that we might catch but a taste of Christ's fullness. May it create in us a longing where, as Paul says, things will be far better. What a day, what a day that will be. In Christ's glorious, victorious name we pray. Amen.